Welcome to Talking In Station, the podcast about EVE Online, recorded live on Twitch on the Imperium News Channel. January is a month for big fights in EVE, and this year is no exception. On Tuesday, over 6,000 players piled into one player versus player fight over a Keep Star. That's a Citadel inside of EVE Online. We'll talk to some of the FCs and commanders that participated in that fight. We're also a few weeks away from Structures 2.0. This is the first revision of gameplay involving structures since they came out in the Citadel expansion of 2016. We are joined by CCP Fozzie to talk about the coming changes. Stay tuned for After Show, where there will be a Q&A session on Talking In Station's Discord that's open to the public, and he will join us for that. That link will be posted in chat uh, during the show a few times. So today, the battle of 9TAC4 and Structures 2.0 on Talking In Stations. Let's meet our Talking In Stations crew, Dirk McGurk, how's it going? Hey, what's going on? Good morning, everybody. And joining us again is Keskora from Wormhole Space. Hi, good morning, everybody. All right, and uh, I want to introduce now our key guest, which is uh, CCP Fozzy, game designer for EVE that worked on issues ranging from ship balance to structures and much, much more. He's an ardent supporter of the Alliance Tournament and was an announcer there before he joined CCP as a developer. And he's actually a bit of a lore fan as well. Welcome to the show, CCP Fozzie. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Rounding out the guests, we've invited some fleet commanders. <laughs> I say that on purpose, uh, ProGuide. That's just for you. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, some fleet commanders that participated in the largest battle that he has ever seen. We will uh, introduce them now, starting with Keisha. Hey guys, I'm Keisha, a 2005 character within one of the oldest active corporations in the game, Kralis Inc., who currently reside in the Bastion Alliance, as well as a long-standing FC for the Imperium for over eight years. Progod Legend? Um, Progod, Test FC, started playing in 2007. Killer B? Hey, I'm Killer B, and I'm an FC in NC Dot. I started playing sometime a couple of years ago. Avery Lewis. Hello. Um, I'm in PL in the Hoover Inc. Corporation. I started playing in 2011. And Plex Live. Hey, I'm Plex Live. Uh, I'm from Goonsholm Federation in the terrifying League of Dogfort Corporation. I started back in 2008. I'm also a FC for Goonsholm. All right. Did I miss anyone? Like I said, it's a big show. Before we start, I want to get a few thoughts from CCP Fozzie, and we'll return to talk to him a lot more when we get into the structures. But Fozzie, what was it like uh, for you to see the build-up to this uh, fight, since it kind of came out of nowhere? It really happened over one week. Yeah, so we were keeping an eye on um, uh, just whenever we see big fights going on, uh, watch some of the the earlier fights over the Citadel, the reinforcements and stuff like that uh, on Twitch streams. Uh, and then... Uh, we were uh, we actually did some uh, special custom uh, node reinforcement uh, to try to make sure that all the um, staging systems were in good enough shape as well as just the main system. So we spent the morning uh, of the actual fight before it happened, uh, getting all that ready to go before downtime and uh, getting it as prepared as possible. Of course, that, were you guys uh, nervous? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, we had. You don't know how many people are going to show up to a battle like this. Uh, we had a feeling there was a chance of it breaking records. And uh, when you talk about a server 
uh, when the population breaking a record, that means that you don't know how the server is going to react because we've never seen uh, the server under those kind of load conditions. So yeah, the, the possibility of everything from all the way up to a server crash was an option. And uh, yeah, that definitely makes you nervous. Cool. Well, I, I think one of the earliest things that started uh, the buildup was, uh, well, actually, we're not going to go back. If you listen to the last two shows, we talk about how this battle actually uh, got started. Uh, and Plex actually took us through that. So we'll go ahead and skip that. We want to skip over to the newest developments, which were ProGod's, uh, geez, shit posting himself onto Canadian news, I think is the way somebody he put it, which yeah, is pretty yeah. Pretty awesome. I know we don't need to dwell on this because OpenComs covered it very well, but uh, just tell us a little bit about what happened there. Oh, man. Um, well, uh, in the FC channel that a bunch of the 00FC share, we've been um, messing with I, I, I've been messing with both both sides, both Goons and PL, and just uh, trolling them a little bit. And um, as the test FCs are talking about it Saturday night, we were talking about, you know, BTEC R, all the big fights that had happened. Um, and some point along the line, it occurred to us, uh, so I, I think I said, or someone said, you know, this could be a million dollar battle. And then I realized that's, that's one hell of a headline. Um, so in an effort to uh, kind of troll some people even further, Peanut Smash kind of said, uh, you should make a Reddit post, you know, as I was messing with them. And I was like, you know what, I might. And then, um, so yeah, Sunday night, I wrote a Reddit post, um, made it about as sensational as I possibly could. Uh, I wanted, I wanted to, I figured even with the way I wrote it, it maybe had like, you know, you never know if a Reddit post is going to catch on like that. And it had, I was optimistic 50, 50 chance of like actually catching on. And, uh, it kind of, it kind of got out of control there. Um, <laughs> and, and then, uh, it caught on. Yeah. Before Only the fight. Tuesday, um, some dude on Twitter uh, tagged me in a tweet from this guy in Canada who does this like esports uh, company, and the tweet said, uh, "You know, whoever knows anything about that big E fight about to go down, I have a very big media opportunity for them." So naturally, I replied to that, and um, he's like, "Do you want to go on Canadian BBC?" And they talked me into it, and yeah, that's how that happened. So there you are on camera, and you re represented the game pretty well. Definitely no trolling uh, on national TV. No, I did. Uh, I messaged Falcon right before and said I'd be on my best behavior. So good. Well, it worked. I think there was a lot of people because uh, during this fight, for the poor streamers that they crashed. Sorry, but they ended up coming to INN where we were streaming live, right, Dirk? Yeah, I mean, it, we were running. I don't know, maybe maybe four or five thousand um, viewers. You know, which which uh, which was you know which was awfully high. Um, just really for anything. Um, there were some other streamers out there that were also um, you know you know running in excess of that um, at the time, but they had they had issues, I guess, keeping the stream up, which which was one of the reasons why on our stream. <laughs> We didn't even try to move the camera, right? We didn't want to do anything that would make even what looked to be like a static image go off because then it just would have been uh, kind of talking to a to a dead screen. Yeah, and the result was, and we pulled in as many friends as we could. So we had Vili, we had Grath, we had Elise, uh, we had a, a, a ton of people. We even had GigX there, which was really awesome. And Falcon joined us, which was great because he could tell us what was going on on the other side. So it ended up being a really successful stream on many levels, but we got 11,000, up to 11,000 viewers peaking at one point, usually between eight and 10,000. 
by the end of it. For the channel itself, it was over 100,000 views. Uh, to give you an idea of just how big this was, not only for EVE players, but people who were curious about EVE, part of that might have been thanks to uh, ProGod over there. I mean, I, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely say this. As much as you know, what people want to make out about the individual words, right, that were that were in ProGod's posts and what kind of meta he was playing at or whatever, um, you know, for people outside of EVE, they're not necessarily going to bite on a sort of, you know, vanilla factually based rundown of what could or could not be right. They're looking for kind of these stories. And unfortunately, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, that's what grabs attention out in the Reddit world and then ends up catching attention, you know, and especially if you get a million, you know, a million reads on it, right. Um, that's what catches attention someplace else. And to some extent, we don't necessarily need people to actually believe what some of these things say for them to, you know, um, uh, say, let me go check out this Eve online. Yeah. Well, like, like I said, uh, I wanted to tell a sensational story that would grab people's attention. Um, although <laughs> obviously it was very biased and, you know, um, the perspective was from, I guess the, uh, money badger side for sure. But, um, I mean, all those things did happen. Uh, you know, they're characterized in a pretty brutal way, but they did happen. Well, I mean, you know, Matani and I talk often, but he usually doesn't co initiate contact with me, but he's like, did you see this piece? <laughs> yeah, I heard. I heard. Hey, uh, my mom like, oh. actually heard about it. Really? <laughs> she messaged oh, me and was like, that's that Eve game you play, isn't it? Like, I heard there's something really big going down with it. And it's yeah. when it, when it reaches someone that far removed, I feel like that's not that's nothing but a good thing in the end. I mean, even if it is sensational, and even if we can look at it and be like, "Well, that's ridiculous," it it's great to to know that other people are hearing about this crazy lifestyle almost that I live outside ah, of the real go, world. <laughs> that you said it, lifestyle. It's interesting. Uh, okay, so hobby. Let's call it a hobby. All right, all right, hobby. Yeah, the Eve lifestyle. Uh, that's funny. Something can be done with that. Um, Let's actually move on, though. Okay, so this giant fight happens. We have some of the key players of the fight. Why don't we go to Killaby and Plex Live, and uh, you guys tell us from either perspective what it was like to be in that kind of fight. Not necessarily what happened, but what some of the key points were and what you were looking for. Should I go first? I'll sure. Go first. Go for um, well, it's mostly just preparing. You watch, because, you know, Goons have been running move-ups to their forward staging in JFFA. Basically, the entire week, we just gathered numbers, sort of roughly what they move. We had some sort of expectations of what they form. We obviously moved our people in place and stuff. And then, well, there's not that much to prepare. We needed to have like a bunch of signals ready and, you know, a bunch of other stuff. But at the end of the day, it's pretty straightforward with these fights. You sign on to a Citadel and you wait. And that's what we did. And uh, the numbers were pretty good. I mean, I really was surprised by what uh, NC Dot was able to put on field. We had like 1,100 characters logged in, uh, which is pretty big. Um, obviously, our allies all formed pretty big as well. MC, I think, had like 270 people, which is pretty big for MC. That's, yeah, that's crazy. Uh, and then... It was bigger than TL's uh, presence, wasn't it? Yeah, what? No, you know, PL had like 400 characters total or 450, oh. which is really good for PL as well. So generally everybody formed, I mean, GOTG was nuts. GOTG formed like 1900 or something. So yeah, it was just all around very, very strong form-ups. Uh, wasn't disappointed at all. 
um, by the time both sides were fully formed, we basically had even numbers in terms of supers and titans at least, which is mostly what matters. I'm not exa- I'm not exactly sure on subcap numbers, um, but I think we have more subcaps. I'm I'm not sure, but we had like, I mean, we obviously had like 600 scorpions from Horde, uh, which were which were just meant to jam fighters. Um, and then we had like I think it was like two TFI fleets from uh, from a GOTG, then our Macario fleet, and the PL uh, Raven fleet. So yeah, we had like a massive amount of subcaps in addition to all our supers and titans. Uh, so that was pretty big. And then goons obviously had their uh, huge carrier fleets and stuff. So yeah, I, it was really really big form ups on both sides. Uh, definitely something that I don't think either of the sides expected that we were this even in terms of numbers. Uh, and then it was, yeah, well, it happened the way it happened. All right. Very few people can answer this next question, but were you nervous? Uh, no, I don't like the word nervous. Nervous like implies that I was like, oh, I don't know. Should I do this? Should I not do it? That's not what it was. I was excited. I was, because uh, like, there's not much in EVE that like gets me excited anymore because I've just done so many things. But if you are making the call on jumping, you know, 200 Titans somewhere or 250 or whatever. Um, that That is something that you don't do every day. And that was de- definitely very exciting. But I wasn't very nervous. I was like, confident in our ability. Call it heightened awareness. Yeah. What about you, Plex? Well, uh, I'm going to kind of mirror what Keller said here. Like excitement was definitely kind of the, the, the buzzword for me. Like nervousness isn't really that much of a thing in this kind of thing. It's uh, excitement of what can happen if it does kick off. Um, and as far as like you know all the all the pre-game before we had you know similar thing we were watching formats of and move ups all week starting to set up um, and then fast forwarding to when the timer was actually happening um, it was pretty much you know northern guys dropped their stuff all on the keep star and said come at us um, so you know it was all down on us to make the first move we initiated by throwing down our subs onto the uh, Keepstar as soon as it came out to try and get it paused as soon as possible. Uh, this is where we kind of come across the first server hurdle, um, which is to be expected when there's 6,000 people in the system. And uh, by the time we got it locked up and shot, it was already down to 8 minutes 45, I believe, um, yeah. which is quite considerable. I remember actually watching the timer, um, and it was kind of almost doing a reverse tie-tie. <laughs> The timer was actually counting quicker than real time. It was like one, two, three, four, five, six, at like this kind of speed. Um, and that was pretty uh, disconcerting to see uh, as, as the uh, you know, attacking side kind of see your, your potential time to attack the structure kind of evaporate very quickly in front of you. Um, mm. But, but, uh, but yeah, all in all, like we dropped in our subs and then started throwing fighters at, and that's when, you know, I think we probably hit like five percent tie dye or something, like because it definitely went below ten. That's for sure. <laughs> you know, when did you know one percent tie dye? Yeah. When did yeah. you know like uh, things were going belly up? Um. Well, it kind of went belly up for me quite like maybe an hour and a half, two hours, maybe three. When I DC'd on my main character, I still had my ult, so I was able to observe the fight and keep my fleet kind of in rough position um and then when i tried to reconnect with plex you know about for two hours and nothing kind of happened 
and it was kind of a similar thing that was happening across the whole fleet. I don't think the server actually regularly started accepting connections until the player count got to like 2300 from the 6000 that were originally in there. The server kind of, you know, like it's it's an incredible feat to even have 6000 people in there. So like fair enough, but yeah, the server did absolutely just freak out on us. <laughs> So Keisha, you were also fighting on the Agoon Swarm or Imperium side, right? Yeah, I had uh, had control of uh, one of one of the other uh, Mac fleets. Um, we had, I think, like Plex said, three. Or, I think we had about three or four main FCs um, that had first control of of the the main fleets on grid that ended up DCing. Um, so, yep. Yeah, you've been around since a, well, a long time. You were an FC guest for Razor. You've been playing a long, long time, so I don't think you were nervous. But what was it? What was it like being a, an FC in this kind of a fight? Um, well, I took the day off, so that cost me about two, two hundred bucks or so. But I didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't want to miss it. I didn't want to get told not, not to go into uh, BTEC R uh, like last time. Um, you know, instead, you know, we, we well for BTEC R we got to fight around the the. the the screening systems, but for this time I wanted to be there for it because I knew it was going to be big. And with all the hurt from Blurf, we were going to definitely hit uh, peak numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, but one of, one of the biggest things I noticed when when I was because uh, uh, I had my brackets on for the most part, it, it wasn't it wasn't terribly terrible um, until it got you know until we hit about three five hundred plus. Uh, was every time we came out of a came out of a, a warp on grid. Uh, I was looking at at the uh, the fleet colors, and basically uh, within the the purple blob, there was like 10, 12 people uh, disconnecting every time we took a fleet warp, and you would notice fleet numbers. Uh, originally, I think we had about 244 when we ended up uh, going to jump in the system, and just every time we engaged or, or did anything with the fleet as a whole, it would just drop and drop and drop and drop. Uh, a quick statistic uh, for like the fleets was you know we had about I think 293 max uh, that were that were um, that were capped um, or counted. Only 205 made it to the the grid or system. Out of the 473 tactical destroyers that we ended up counting uh, on PAPs and whatnot, only 275 made it on grid or did anything of significance. So I mean that kind of gives you. Uh, Kind of gives you a picture um, to the hindrance of, I guess, uh, the, the the disconnects. Um, and then uh, the subcat via subcat wasn't wasn't too too over the over, over the top with like with kills and whatnot. Uh, I did a quick quick count with what was actually killing things on on grid, which was more the uh, the supers and titans. Uh, the long range titans uh, did about 30 to 35 percent of uh, kills on the field supers coming up with about 30 percent and then the rest being keep star and whatnot so that well, kind of gives you a visual yeah and, and killer b you were very effective with the titans and clearing a lot of the uh subcaps right yes titan long range titan guns are really broke <laughs> at hitting subcaps at long range but uh not broken enough to be nerfed so i'm pretty happy uh, where they are right now which pretty much everything is long range from where those titans are sitting in the uprights of a keep star, right? Uh yeah. 
I mean, okay, let's like real talk at the end, like towards the end of the fight when all the subcap, like all the material fleets and the Ravens were gone, it was only Jackdaws left. And we were like one shotting Jackdaws with like XL long range Titan guns. So, yeah, not mm. sure if that's uh, balanced. That's more balanced. <laughs> Well, that's Which, we, on, we only jumped in the avatars because the avatar, like the avatar tracking, is way better. Like the avatar works way better than the bus. Um, so we only jumped in all the avatars, but you know that was like seventy or like some shit avatars. So yeah. Plus, you're not going to have like re- re- reload issues, um, which the other ones that actually use charges um, ended up having uh, the issues. Or yeah. I mean, I've been, like, so basically I shot two McCarrots at the start of the fight, and then the rest of the, like, five hours I was reloading because uh, I wanted to swap crystals to, like, some longer-range crystals. Um, so that was a big mistake on my end. But um, all the Titans that didn't make the mistake of trying to reload their crystals, they were just fragging away, basically. One, one, one other thing I wanted to note with, uh, you know, uh, that came down to, I guess, the, the last decision before we ended up. I don't know. Some the, the thought of possibly bringing a couple dreads, or not a couple, but bringing in dreads. You know, it was quickly brought up, but squashed immediately because we were doing uh, doing counts in in Jabber to see how many people, because um, we had a reinforcement fleet coming in, how many people were still in the tunnel um, uh, from I guess you know, getting into the system, and it was up to about I think forty five minutes it peaked up to. Um, so. I think we were at what eight eight minutes on on the timer. Just like, well, you know, we're still still hitting still hitting cap. You know, it's not it's, it's not out of the question. We'll still keep hitting it. But then we're just like, well, to bring dreads in the system, I think there was a twenty minute delay for Sinos to be activated and actually be used, and then forty five minutes to load grid. And with the timer mechanics, is how they work in real time. Uh, uh, I think it ended up being about five. We had five minutes left. Well, and we can't stretch that over an hour. So that decision wasn't really an option. Yeah, it was also kind of shelved for other reasons due to the fact like we couldn't even reload our sub guns or load fighters into our, our super carriers once the first uh, wave of fighters was squashed. So like dropping guys in system is just not going to help any of that. Well, um, I, don't, I don't... Yeah. I mean, if y'all are worried about server load, I just I still can't understand why both sides brought so many subcaps. Well, it might be a, a good time to transition into something that um, another guest, Avery Lewis, brought up in. Um, oh, again, if you want to know more about exactly what happened, I recommend Open Comms. Last Friday night went over the events of the fight. Uh, we also released an 11-hour uh, podcast with five parts that equals the entire broadcast that was live. So you can listen to that if you're on a, you know, a long trip. Uh, so there's different ways. I'm also going to write a battle report that does a lot of the step-by-step of what happened in that fight that'll be released on Monday or Tuesday. So that's where you can figure out like how the battle actually went down. So we're going to move on to talk about something uh, about the server, server load, and these kinds of things that are related to structures, starting with Avery, who wrote a, a post uh, that was popularized on Reddit. Avery, what did you write about? Um, basically, I did a comparison between Dominion and current mechanics. Explained basically the deck is stacked really in favor of defenders right now. Um, and a big reason for that is because the, the tie-dye timer affects, you know, ships, modules, etc. But the reinforcement timer isn't affected. So basically, you know, tie-dye has always been problematic. It lets other fleets catch up and move more quickly. But uh, 
when there's one thing in the the system that's actually ignoring the system's rules entirely, the repair mechanic really skews things in a in a big way. And uh, you know, it's basically like if you're playing a game of chess and you know one guy has ten seconds to make his move and hit the clock, the other guy has ten minutes. And you also have to deal with the fact that every so often someone knocks over all your pieces and you have to set them back up before doing your move. It's like it gets really hard when you're the guy who has ten seconds to think. So you know, it's like there. Were, I think there are pretty creative strategies on both sides. I mean, one of the things that uh, I think a lot of people noticed was Dan Cool One Thousand One's idea to, uh, you know, trick some of the Imperium forces into signing in onto the actual Keepstar itself, which was pretty clever. I'm sure the Imperium had some strategies too, but unfortunately, there's just like such a small margin for error for the attackers that, um, you know, it. It, it doesn't really create a fun environment where you're kind of testing skills against each other. Because one side has to attack for like eight hours in tie-dye, the other side has to defend for 15 minutes. And the way that the, uh, the way that the, basically the pause mechanics work, every time you go into another window, the tie-dye, the re repair timer on the Citadel moves forward slightly. So, you know, it, it, basically I was just explaining why it's wasn't really a great fight because of this decision to make repair timers completely ignore the universe's rules hmm. can since that just came up and there's a number of questions that have gone out there in in uh in the chat can fozzy speak to tie-dye where tie-dye ends what comes after tie-dye and why is it not linked to real time in a tie-dye situation uh sure so i'll talk a bit i can talk about all those things i'll talk first about the uh the repair timer um and why at the moment it's set up the way it is. Uh, so the team that originally developed Citadels, uh, they ended up making the, the call to set the uh, repair timer to basically have it use the same timing system as all the other timers. So it actually is just a variation of the same timing system that uh, affects the duration of uh, reinforcement and when the vulnerability windows come out and all that kind of stuff. Um, the You're never really gonna be able to have everything affected by tie-dye. Uh, in in any uh, situation in E because some things need to exist across different server nodes and tie-dye only affects one node at a time. But we do think it probably is possible to uh, separate out the uh, repair timers. Uh, if I was designing the system from scratch now, I believe that's what I would do. It definitely has its own downsides. 150-minute repair timers uh, would cause their own sets of, uh, of complaints and issues. But uh, But that is, I think a better set of trade-offs like everything in eve every bit of design always has trade-offs with it and it but i take that trade-off um not technically simple though because the moment this is requiring information that moves across nodes so that's why that decision was originally made i uh, definitely think that it's very possible that it may change in the future um the uh discussion that we've been seeing a bit in uh, the uh, twitch chat as well about what happens when you're at 10% tie-dye and that still isn't enough for the server to catch up, uh, often players will refer to that as going below 10%, so like going to 5% or 1% tie-dye, but that's actually not really what's happening. Uh, what's happening is you essentially get down to 10%, which is the cap for that slowdown mechanic, and then the server runs into the same problems that it used to run into before tie-dye uh, at earlier levels, where it actually just gets uh, unpredictable in what it does. It'll drop some uh, commands, it basically is just getting behind on its instructions. And so in some ways it acts a bit like say 5% tie-dye, but it really isn't as 
reliable or consistent as something as five percent tie-dye would be in that case so it's not quite the same thing if we ever did like for instance if we did dilate the timer that timer wouldn't dilate more past 10 percent mm -hmm. is there any like possibility of making it kind of go a little bit further down because it's quite often that like major fights that use tie-dye at all tend to get to 10 percent and you know cause some issues Yep, um, it is possible. And that is just an attribute that we can set. So we could even allow you to go to 0.0001% tie-dye. Um, however, at that point, fights would just never actually complete before downtime. Um, so there is there are some extra challenges when you get down to that kind of level. The 10% level was chosen to try to prevent some of the really extreme uh, side effects of having uh, things slow down um, from getting as, as crazy. Um, it's possible we may shrink it down more, but at the moment, EVE players have shown that they will grow a fight to any uh, to t use up any amount of server performance we can give them. I've I won't say the numbers because I know it's probably a bit offset on both sides, but uh, we were keeping an eye on how many people were ready to jump into nine tack four um, and reinforce. Uh, this fight could have gone a whole lot bigger than the just 6,200 that it went to. Will you tell us at least if it went into the uh, 10,000 or more? Um, no. I expect it probably would have cracked 10,000 uh, if the server uh, could have handled it. Yeah. No, it should, that, it should be noted that if they were to somehow dilate even further, right? Remember, when we've got something like a repair timer out there that's running on a different clock, that would make the amount of DPS that you've got to apply and everything else that much worse. So, I mean, you still have that effect. I mean, it's not just like ships standing off against one another. I mean, here there is that that other element. And I just want to point out that before the show today, Fozzie released something out onto the forums that was a response to the upcoming uh, Upwell 2.0 um, um, structure changes. Uh, two of them don't really apply to this, um, but it, number one, they're removing the stand-up GTFO from that plan, gone, as well as the five-minute fitting period timer, gone. Um, but they are going, it looks like they're going to be doubling the final last stand hull repair timers for all upwell structures to 30 minutes. So instead of it being that 15 minute timer that's unrelated to tie dye, it will now be a 30 minute timer still unrelated to tie dye. Oh, that's a huge yeah. change. Yeah, yeah, this is something that is partially being done to help mitigate these kind of really extreme situations. Well, I, I don't think people are realizing how big of a nerf i know we were talking about before the show that you know citadels need more of a nerf and i certainly agree that parts of them need more of a nerf but we're going from the current system where you have vuln windows where i can have my entire alliance set the vuln window to friday night and my citadels are basically invulnerable the rest of the week um to i can hit your citadel at any time of the week 24 to 36 hours later is the armor timer and if i successfully win the armor timer then cloning and all the services turn off so you could set your, your final timer to Wednesday, but if I can hit your Citadel every Friday for two months at a time and disable it every Saturday, then you're going to have trouble living in that space. And now the whole timer is 30 minutes, so you got to clear my fleet off for 30 minutes unless it's yeah, heavy tie-dye. It's um, A lot of defender advantages are going away on February 13th. Not all of them, Avery, and there's still some that could be uh, talked about there, but it is trending in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, it's good that they're buffing citadels less than originally planned, but there's, I mean, this this will change kind of smaller scale fights over citadels. Sure, it'll give the attackers more time to plan and whatnot, but 
you know, in tie-dye fights, it's kind of moot, whether it's 15 minutes or 30 minutes, it's still, you know, still seven hours for the attackers or whatever in tie-dye. Not every, not every big Citadel fight is going to have 6,000 people. Well, even even with 2,500 people, you're still going to be sitting in 10% tie-dye. Yeah. Not necessarily. A, a good reinforced node with 2,500 will... You'll have no module activation lag, which is key. And uh, you'll go above 10% at times. It was still pretty smooth at the bottom. Yeah, but it, it will still be a long grind. Let's take yeah, that it's in. not going to be fun. But... Let's take that in for a second. It was still smooth at 3,500 yeah. because... Uh, I remember actually, Pro God, you led us into a fight, and it was actually against goons. Everybody was going to show up. I woke up at three in the morning to do it. Thirty-three hundred, and everything crashed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, the the game's come a long way. I mean, if you if you talk to you know Vince and a couple of other of us who've been playing a long time, the fact that you can put four thousand people in local and your guns don't get stuck is just a miracle. I, no, I don't want to. Those were rough. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to um, use that as an excuse, but uh, the game, in my opinion, is is pretty healthy. I mean, there's obviously always room to improve, but it's a it's in a pretty good spot, in my opinion. Well, yeah, you know, uh, and, I, and I do want to say this about 3,500 on the way up was a hell of a lot different than 3,500 on the way down, because I know that when the Aeon fleet from the Imperium jumped in, the system was at about 3,500 on there, coming down from that 6,000 number, right? And I would say probably a good half of that fleet never saw the battlefield. Um, you know, so so what, you know what it was like at thirty five hundred as the system was growing. Um, it, it it seems as though once it hit that point, it began to break. That it was like damage forever after, and that may have been because you had so many people who were also trying to relog back in and tying things up. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the server had um, had gotten behind on commands and just it hadn't uh, finished. Uh, catching up for quite a long time. So as those numbers were dropping, it was still actually going through and processing commands uh, that had been backed up for a very long time. Yeah, I think uh, thing like people from our side started getting back into the system when it hit about 20, 2200, 2300 again. Uh, that's when we all started actually being able to reconnect, um, which by that time, like the, the fight was already over. Um, but like going back to the point of like you know the health of the servers stuff like that, it wasn't actually that long ago that we had a fairly decently sized fight back over for the MJY iHub. I think what we had maybe two thousand people fighting in there, twenty five hundred people, and that fight ran super smooth. Yeah, I mean, go ahead, Manuel. Avery, you go ahead. This is your section. There's not that much. I mean, servers are interesting to talk about, but I think that's a much harder challenge than just changing some of the game mechanics to kind of weigh things more evenly between the two sides. And Fozzie's already talked about changing the repair timer, which is good. Um, you know, I would argue that if the defenders have to actually repair the Citadel themselves instead of having it an automated process, that actually makes the fight a lot more interesting. Man, you didn't uh, have to deal with all the complaints from everybody who was repairing stuff in Dominion Soft. That's like Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you want to you go back out and uh, start uh, having to rep things. That is, have you, have you uh, noticed there I is mean, a bit of Yeah, I mean, it's better than sitting tethered on a Fortizar and just, and just know, waiting. Man. Like, I, I, you got to remember at one point, like, everyone was ready to quit this game unless they got rid of Dominion Soft. Yeah, man. You know? uh, the rose-tinted glasses of Dominion Soft, that's like 
like man you just miss the torture so much and uh, you're not quite the same without it well i mean there there is a difference between dominion sovereignty system and and the battle mechanics that occurred you know within there and i and i just go back to this whole idea of being tethered i go back to this whole idea of sitting on a structure a thousand kilometers away and being able to lock another structure you know a thousand kilometers away and send your fighters over there um as opposed to as opposed to both sides that land on field for a conflict over whatever uh not having the tether sure. not having the tether crutch you're uh what you're what you're not realizing is that um the allowing people to sit a thousand kilometers apart and have some what i guess are pseudo fights not real old school fights has in the previous system you two sides would eventually land on grid and fight each other but more often than not one side just wouldn't show up you know that, that's the blue balls thing was very bad in dominion soft because and I talked about this a little on the open comm show, the spectrum of um, defender advantages, you know, having too high of a defensive advantage and then having no defender advantage at all. So in Dominion Sov, when you fought on an iHub, if, you, if both fleets actually got in system and made it on the iHub grid, once you were on the iHub grid, there was no difference between the attacking fleet and defender fleet. They, there were no defender advantages. You didn't have pauses there. You didn't have citadels. There were just two fleets fighting each other. Um, that, now good. that's which is you know it was good and bad it you know like i said people were basically revolting in 2014 i i'm sympathetic to the argument uh that feet you know the jump mechanics and force projection were as big of a reason for that as dominion soft mechanics um i'd say there was a period before ages sov after the phoebe patch when Coalitions were breaking up and more fights were happening around Dominion soft mechanics and people, not as many people were able to get to them because Phoebe jump mechanics had introduced jump fatigue. It, that is, um, that's possible that, that, that was, uh, more important than the Dominion soft mechanics. Um, so, you know, we could, we could talk about that. I, I, I didn't mind Dominion too much. I mind the force projection more than I mind Dominion. Um, the three-hour activation on sovereignty blockade units was kind of annoying because it required you to play the game for four hours just to attack. Uh, and I kind of hated doing that, and a lot of people hated doing that. Defensive SVUs all over the place were pretty frustrating. But uh, Let me cut in here. The Fozzie, this question's for you. Even uh, as late as the meta show where Matani took some time to rant about Fozzisov and how everybody hated it and all these people that say they hate it and all this other stuff, one of the goals of that was to break up fights so that you could have meaningful gameplay in different areas to spread out the, the mass density on the one hand. And everybody complains about that. And at the same time, they complain about not being able to get in, only get into the same system. But where does that put you? I mean, so there are definitely, yeah. there are definitely plenty of issues with uh, the soft system um, and uh, lots of stuff we'd like to change if we ever get time. But, uh, but yeah, that, that was one of the original goals. And I wouldn't be surprised if we can eventually uh, find a way to incorporate some of the, some of the good parts of um, the like, structure systems and some of the good parts of uh, the solve system uh, in together. Uh, solve is always going to be a pretty hot button uh, issue uh, in just about any version of it. But uh, uh, that's something that I think the only solution is to keep, keep working on it slowly and surely. Can we so, have something to shoot? Ideally, yes. 
uh, again, uh, I'm not in charge of, uh, uh, schedules and stuff like that but uh yes i would i would like to have that in the next version i'll tell you what seemed to quell a lot of anger about it tell you the truth is the kill mails for uh fighters just seems like if you give people gold to count or some way of measuring themselves they end up being okay with like some of the yeah that that stuff for some reason helps a lot i've Mm -hmm. I've said as well um which was the whole point behind the entosis module not being able to warp off you know you get a kill every time you hop on an entosis and bring it down but yeah like i've heard a lot of people saying like oh you know it wasn't a fun fight but at least we got kill mails for fighters or oh there, there's a there's a, a developed narrative against aegis and don't get me wrong it i uh it's definitely got some pain points that could be addressed for sure. But um, we've had uh, there have been some good engagements uh, with four thousand plus people uh, under Aegis mechanics that have you know not been laggy. Although I will say this, uh, Fozzie, one of the problems with Aegis soft mechanics, especially you noticed this before Citadels went in, when there was that brief period where the only sovereignty mechanic was Aegis soft was there weren't enough nodes to reinforce every system in a constellation. So this happened in the MTECO fight during World War B, where we happened to have everyone, uh, a majority of the fleets jump into a system that wasn't on a reinforced node and everything just shut down. Because um, I think there's only about five or six blades um, that can be passed around the systems, if I remember correctly. And uh, you've no, got... We've got a bit more than that, but yeah, the yeah. Um, we're talking about yeah, actually reinforcing every system in the constellation. That can usually work if there's only one of those fights going on. But yeah, if we start to get multiple ones, and then having to reinforce staging systems as well, then yes, we do run out of our uh, our, our reinforced supernodes for sure. I mean, the best fights in Aegis of so far, in my opinion, have been ones where both FCs just kind of agree to fight on one node. Um, you know, like there was one in Horde space recently between GOTG Horde and uh the imperium you know it was pretty fun because basically both sides just went at each other on one node the issue that you know i think feel like we run into a lot is that you know in age of only one ship really matters and that's the entosis ship so it creates a strong incentive to use something like jackdaws or interceptors to you know just warp in pop that ship and run away and yeah, that, uh, that is an issue i would say yeah, um, yeah but we've had we've had a good war over ages of when nc dot invaded co2 space in tribute that for a solid month every single fight was over ages of and um i thought it was a pretty good time i thought it was a good example of how a disadvantaged side that has less capitals less numbers can use uh the diffused grids the um you know different fights over different grids and different systems to their advantage. And um, you, you couldn't, like, that war would have never happened under Dominion Sov. It would have been uh, a one-week um, just cleaning up operation for NC Dot Supercat Fleet. And instead, under Aegis Sov, we got a two-month war out of it with a bunch of fights, dead dreads, uh, a dead PK Titan, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah, the... Um... The element of it feeling like only a single ship matters is definitely a place, a major place where uh, the soft mechanics have just fallen flat, where they didn't reach the goal we were aiming for. Um, that was a, the intent behind the design was to try to replicate essentially just a, um, a presence mechanic, a king of the hill type mechanic, but without uh, as easily allowing people to warp in and warp out uh, to evade while they're actually active uh, for capturing. So like when they have the module active itself. Um, but in practice, so the idea was that you'd have a bunch of ships 
like you'd have a fleet that has like 40 Intosa ships. So someone, um, but that obviously didn't work out. And that's, that is our issue with the design that did not uh, end up working the way it was supposed to. We're going to, we're going to wrap up this segment. Pro guide, one last thing. Oh, I was saying someone was brought up the point the other day that you could either, um, you could either remove the uh, ability to remote rep, um, the remote rep uh, impotence on it, although that may work out badly. But someone had the idea of bringing back SBUs, and instead of intosising the command node, you just deploy a <laughs> tiny little SBU on the command node, and then the defenders can come and blow it up, and vice versa. And the SBU is the one that intosises it. So I, men I mentioned SBUs the other day as a way of removing tethering across a solar system. No, that one, that's a bad idea. <laughs> oh. Well, I don't know what, I, I don't know where this other one came up, but it, yeah. Why? Well, we stole it from Dirk. Let's just say that. But yeah, uh, there's definitely, I'd like to experiment more with the system. Um, it's a lot of it is just a question of finding, finding the time. The, uh, I think what I'd ideally like to do is have some uh, more moderate passes on the current system that take less time and can get done more quickly. And then again, in the future, with a full movement of, say, uh, the iHubs over into the structure system with moving TCUs into the, uh, the eventual propaganda structure uh, system. Uh, with that kind of conversion down the line, that wouldn't happen right away. Then we could do a full conversion into something like something completely new that maybe tries to merge the best parts of both systems. And, and so, Matterall, before before you yeah. skip on, I just want to I just want to ask Posi because he's mentioned sovereignty a number of times. I mean, we're we're kind of in a hybrid system right now, right? We've got this sovereignty system out there, which basically applies to a handful of items. I mean, basically, iHubs at this point are really the key point of, of what we would consider the sovereignty system. But what do you, what does CCP view as sovereignty in this game, given given the entirety of, of Citadel mechanics? Oh, no I think soft, right? ideally, we'd like to see a... Uh, a soft system that isn't prescribed by CCP. That isn't a case of this structure does this and this structure does that, and that has to be the like that's your soft box that you have to work in. Um, that is connected more to whether you can you you can uh, be the one who has actual control over the system and just has the infrastructure and is running the infrastructure. So I think ideally we would take no longer have eventually a system called SOV, but instead just have a bunch of systems for for structures, for uh, taking control of us, for like kind of exerting influence over what goes on in a solar system, for uh, upgrading it, uh, that all combined allows players to have what feels like sovereignty. Do you have in any a more natural way? Do you have any idea like when? Because I mean, it's it's been like what now, like two years. Like, do you have any idea on the time frame of like when these iterations might come out, or is you know, is that just something that's not really decided at this point? So what I mentioned, kind of wanting to do both iterations on the current system and then a full revamp eventually that merges it into the structure system. The merging to structure system, that I don't really know when that would be. Not any time all that soon. Definitely not uh, 2018. Uh, but the, the earlier uh, set, something that uh, maybe does some experimenting with the current system, throwing a wrench into things, just kind of fucking shit up for the sake of it and seeing how people react. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that I would like to see us do sooner. While this big fight was going on, that was uh, involved possibly as many as 10,000 characters on both sides. You still had like another 30,000 people logged in doing what? Do we know what they were doing, Fozzie? Playing all kinds of things. All, all of the normal stuff. They were uh, running missions and anomalies. They were uh, in wormholes fighting over the, a citadel and an eviction. They were um, 
fighting in their own separate wars, right? You still have the war going on down in angel space uh, at the same time. Uh, so there's plenty of other stuff uh, going on all over Eve. I just like to put some perspective on it when we think the whole world was in one place fighting, like there was a whole nother uh, three times bigger group of people that were going about their daily Eve business. So this place is a big, big place. Yeah, like that's, no one that's really tally important. There. And like, the reason you're never going to have uh, these kind of tie dye fights, right? They are they are a very unique thing in gaming, uh, where you go into something that is more about the feeling of it being epic and consequential and less about uh, the moment to moment experience. Uh, that's not going to be for everyone. That's for sure. It is a it is a very acquired taste for only a small subset of human beings will ever really enjoy that. Yeah, and we, <laughs> and we really shouldn't just focus exclusively on sort of the tie-dye aspects of this. You know, but the problem is, is that when you get coalitions in this game that become the size that they are, have the hardware that they are, eventually they're going to come in con you know, contact. And this is the end result of that. And the question is, you know, have we just reached the point now where basically it is stalemate if these two come, you know, into contact? um you know with forces that large i don't i don't see either of them ever fighting 300 on 300 titans um i mean they had the opportunity the issue is there's no middle ground for us to fight in like in the in the north like you know pan famine etc like citadel just gives such a huge defender advantage that you know as we saw in the last fight like it's almost impossible to assault them the same applies for like you know us attacking the imperium or they have so many oh. keep stars it's a real small we, sample size there. You know. uh, we'd, Plex, we'd be go ahead and then we're going to switch. Yeah, we'd be real dumb to throw our Titans on top of that Keepstar grid during the 9-4 fight because they're perfectly set up to just absolutely zonk us with every single Doomsday they have while we're loading. No, yeah, you, you, I mean, that fight in particular, you don't want to do something like that. But, I mean, it's it's hard to say where the game will go a couple of years from now. Um, mm -hmm. You know... It's it's really hard to project it, but at the same time, I'd say the biggest problem with having two Titan fleets that large fight each other is the, the Phoebe mechanics. Um, in the past, you know, when these big fights went down, they were usually due to a mistake. They were usually spur of the moment, spontaneous. Um, but to get two fleets, two super fleets that large in range of each other for a spontaneous fight to happen, they have to basically stage within jump range for each other. And once they're in, they're staging within jump range of each other, you know, all the fleet commanders for both sides are aware of the risk. And, you know, the, um, just the situation is different where you're, you're not going to necessarily have a spontaneous fight come out of there because everyone's aware of what could happen. You know, in the past, uh, maybe some fight in Asakai would have gone down and, you know, escalation after escalation, people said, fuck it, let's just bring all our Titans in. I, I don't see that happening. And without an extremely creative trap set up. And then for that, you know, the the trapping side would have to set up like some monumental trap. And then the the people who were getting trapped would have to make at least two or three mistakes on the escalation path. And then at the end of it, say, fuck it, let's just go all in. And that's a, that's a lot of things that all need to happen. That's a lot of stars aligning. It's hard to make the decision when Titans are so cheap. I mean, let's get real, like... It's really easy with Rokos and whatnot to just replace them. So if one Titan fail jumps instead of, you know, bridging, you don't yeah. jump everything in to save it. You just say, okay, die, we'll get you a new one. It's really right. easy. 
we'll wrap up this. Uh, we'll save the rest of the comments for Q&A. It's happening right after this show on the Talking Stations Discord. Join Fozzie and these guys if you have some questions. Um, and that'll be in about a uh, half hour, 45 minutes. I do want to move on to structures too, because Fozzie actually just put something out, as Dirk said. Uh, and Fozzie, if you, do you want to give us an introduction to structures too and like uh, what's in it? Yeah, sure. So um, Upwell 2.0 is what we're calling this big pass on uh, structure mechanics that's coming out in uh, February, so just in a couple of weeks now. Uh, it is the, the biggest single set of changes to uh, Upwell structures we've made since the release. Uh, and uh, it addresses a lot of the feedback we've been seeing since we uh, introduced them way back in uh, the Citadel expansion. Uh, so we've got a couple of big pillars of like what is the core changes being made. Um, one big one is that uh, structures will now have an active and active state. So if they have a service module running, at least one service module, then they will be considered uh, full power mode, uh, which means that uh, they have all their normal defenses. If they uh, don't have a service module running, so they're not consuming fuel, uh, then they will be low power mode, which means that they skip one of the reinforcement cycles and have lower resistances uh, become a lot easier to kill. We also are allowing structures to now be shot at 24-7, so we're flipping around the way the whole reinforcement mechanic works for them. Under the previous structure system, if people aren't familiar with that, uh, you set hours of the week where your structure is vulnerable to match when you think you can defend them. Um, but under the new system, the structure can be attacked at any time, and the owner sets up a time of the day and a day of the week. And the first fight can happen any time, the first attack on the structure. The second attack happens within four hours of the time set by the defender, but on the next day. So the day decided by the attacker, so they can, like uh, Progod mentioned earlier, set that on a Saturday if they want. And then the final fight happens, again, within four hours of the time set by the defender and then on the day set by the defender. So they can know for sure that they'll be able to show up to those. Uh, we've also got a bunch of changes to structure modules uh, coming in, including the removal of the void bombs, replacing them with um, a burst projector system similar to what uh, supercarriers use, uh, and a bunch of new module changes and fighter changes. So fighters are getting a lot more powerful. Uh, modules are generally getting a little bit weaker, uh, but are getting Tech 2 versions. Um, and uh, the uh, uh, structure, uh, kind of all the balance around structure combat is getting a full rebalance there, the whole full revamp. And then the final big pillar is uh, we're enabling moon mining in wormhole space and in some high sec systems. So Woo. people can uh, try out that mechanic there too, which was by far the most requested thing that we've had about uh, structures ever since we announced the moon mining mechanic. Now, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna ask because you know it's gone. I think everybody thought it was gonna be gone, but uh, you know the G, you know, things like the GTFO module. I mean, do you think that was worthwhile uh, to you know to have put in there since it really sucked up a lot of the air related to changes that um, a lot of which I think people do agree with. You know the 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 invulnerability or or now the vulnerability of a first timer. Um, you don't have to worry about that. You can go out and attack structures right away. The new the new vulnerability windows. I mean, these sort of got pushed to the side while everybody, you know, raged over GTFO. Oh, well, you never, you can never entirely predict what people are going to uh, be uh, happy or unhappy about before you announce changes, right? That's what you, that's why you go through the feedback process. You uh, 
uh, go through multiple stages of it. And then we, we saw what people responded to uh, with this blog and then went to do our best to address the concerns. And we're going to continue to do that over the next couple of weeks. And you uh, have been very responsive, uh, you know, out there on, uh, on the blog. I mean, this is not the first time that you've responded with kind of, you know, giving a, you know, giving a heads up on, hey, we're looking at this sort of a thing. Yeah, yeah, we've been again doing our best for that. Um, so uh, yeah, I wouldn't say I I regret put it in there. Um, if knowing hindsight what the feedback would be, I wouldn't put it into the initial blog. But again, you never really you're never going to know what the feedback is until you uh, actually uh, start well, uh, putting in front of players see, and finding out. The thing is, you're an ex Eve player and you're a brilliant guy. So I'm thinking that you guys put like a red herring in every major uh, controversial patch to be able to withdraw something. And to uh, oh, that's a, that's a good idea. Adding now? We tinfoil adding. But you're, uh, yeah, we're, you, we're never quite as, uh, being an evil genius like that would take a lot of effort. Uh, I, I, I was more thinking, I was more thinking, was there not CSM feedback enough on that that would have made you reluctant to actually throw it out to, to the broader so audience? So the thing so, about... Well, yeah, go ahead. So what I'll say is um, things things like this, it's very often that they don't, that the concerns that get raised don't come up until you start to put them in front of thousands of people. And then one, one of those thousand people brings up the, oh, hey, I've got this concern. And other people say, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. I hadn't thought of that. And then it may seem very obvious in hindsight. But yeah, we didn't we didn't have concerns from the CSM raised about that. But that's to be expected because, again, it's a small group. They're not going to be um, able to come up with all the things that what thousands of youth players are going to be able to come up with. So yeah, you the CSM feedback is both valuable when we give them stuff early before other players, but then becomes especially valuable once we put stuff in front of the players because then they can help filter out the feedback coming from the thousands of people and everyone putting their heads together. You also well, I, do never hear about the things that the CSM does block because that stuff never really gets out. I know y'all had limited session time there at the summit and um talking to sword and a few of them they did get a lot of good feedback in on some of those things well we'll have a show on csm when the summit notes come out uh but the thing about the game is and the reason i pointed out that you know this is the biggest battle eve has ever seen oh and hey two-thirds of the game we're doing something else is that not all these changes are just for null sec players because we're talking about structure changes and they fit into other scenarios too like high sec low sec faction war wormholes so it's, I kind of feel like we're a lot of the criticism that has enough passion to show up on Reddit or on notes for talking uh, for uh, INN or wherever else, podcasts even uh, seem to be kind of a, a niche inside of Eve itself. Yeah, it's really tough to get um, a big representative sample of all of Eve. Eve is just such a huge game, and you can play it in so many ways. In a lot of ways, it's it's like having uh, two dozen games stitched together by the same economy uh, rather than one singular game. Uh, so yeah, you always have to try to do your best to um, address a bunch of different gameplay styles for a lot of different people in a lot of different areas of space. And so you combine a bunch of different methods. We look at feedback from the CSM, we look at feedback from the forums, we look at feedback from shows like yours. But then also we do things like run surveys, which allow us to get a... Uh, a very random sample and then we can weight that by and look at hey for people that play in high sec for people that only play this many hours a day for people to do this or that we can get a good look at how they feel about all these mechanics and so one of the big things we're doing with uh, upload 2.0 to be able to test to see how well the changes have uh, worked out 
is we ran a survey a couple months ago asking people about structures, about their experiences with them, about how they feel about them, what they like, what they don't like, that reached all areas of EVE, high sec, low sec, null sec, wormholes, everybody. And then we're running the same survey after the fact, after we make these changes, and we're going to see how people's opinions have changed. And that can get us access to players that might not post on the forums or vote for the CSM or comment on a show like this. What I think is is great is just how much going behind the scenes people talk and this does get changed that people might not realize. Like, I mean, I'm a wormholer and we are a smaller amount of the community. And when first Citadels came out, we lobbied really, really hard to have a lot of stuff changed just for wormholes. Like we have no asset safety, which originally there was going to be asset safety in wormholes. And the timer to have reinforcement, we really, really came hard against that because we were used to pause timers with like a three-day reinforcement. And a lot of wormholers really spoke out about that. And a lot of CCP devs were really great at willing to talk to us. And we had round tables on TeamSpeak and we met with them in small groups and we talked to them at Vegas and FanFest. And our CSM members were really, really active about talking to them and lobbying for things that really helped us. And we ended up getting those changes. And it's I think it's just really cool how you know, even though we are a smaller section of the game, that they're still willing to make those changes for our way of life, even even when it doesn't affect quite so many people and we might not be in the spotlight as much as some of these big, crazy null groups. Well, all right, guys. So I'll open it up to FCs. Uh, if you guys have some questions about this uh, structures. Sorry, up, what's the actual patch called? Upwell 2.0 or... Uh, yeah, that's that's this set of changes. There'll be other things in the February patch. I think oh. we're just going to call it the February 2018 patch or something official. Uh, I don't know how the marketing guys are handling that, but this package of changes we're calling up well 2.0. Yeah, okay. I've got. A, yeah, go ahead. I've got a question for you, Fozzie, because you know you're talking player discussions and stuff. In any of these discussions, has uh, the idea of making citadels defangable come up? Because I mean. Pauses, they're kind of a combination of pauses and stations, right? And historically, stations didn't have their own defenses. Players had to undock from them to fight. And pauses did, but they were defangable because, you know, like, with, like for example, like with the Keepstar, the PDS system makes like a whole class of ships basically unable to fight on that grid. And there's no way, there's no counterplay to that, right? And that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. Uh, I kind of stole my thunder one to hit on that point as well. That, I mean, I think that's what made Pause Warfare, well, maybe not exciting for some, but at least you could kind of calculate hey, you know, I need X amount of dreads for this amount of time, you know, single siege cycle to actually defang it. So then you can actually bring your subs, whatever, in to actually contest it. But with Citadels, it's like it's you can't. You can't do anything. It's invulnerable. All you can do is shoot it and hope that you reinforce it with the next amount of time. Maybe we could have like you can intosis the keep star, and if you keep your intosis <laughs> up, then it turns off. <laughs> don't don't do that. Pathies get out. Uh, yeah, <laughs> adding something like that in the future, I think, is definitely a possibility. Um, I think it was originally so the the team that worked on keep stars or on structures originally with the Citadel release. Uh, they ended up making the call not to put in a mechanic like that, largely because of the fact that. Uh, they had also made the call to not have um, automated defenses. Uh, I think it would be um, it would be interesting to explore having something that maybe is some kind of combination of the of defanging in some ways, although potentially with some like limited effects instead of full effects, uh, and then combine it with um, a, a kind of service disabling option as well. Um, but yeah, that's I wouldn't rule that out for the future, but. Uh, 
yeah, the, the reasoning I believe for originally not having it was because of the fact that there's no automated defenses. So the assumption was that it probably wouldn't be a very interesting engagement. You just do that when the opponent is out of their time zone and uh, uh, leave again, and nobody would actually interact with other players for that. Now, now we do have a number of you know kind of high level theory crafters that are on here today. Myself and Matterall probably just totally not included in that, but. Can you guys give a little bit of feedback? Can you guys give a little feedback on what you think about some of the other changes that are coming in this in terms of vulnerability windows, the high and low power modes, 400 kilometer targeting range, cooldown on scrams, asset safety costs in system? What do you guys think about those things? Um, yeah, I, I kind of want to jump in on this one. Um, the I'm going to start by saying like getting rid of void bombs uh, is just a massive like step in the right direction. However, I I think like uh, there's still um, a lot of key things that won't actually allow this change to be able to change the landscape of Citadel Battles that much. The main thing being that that infinite scram uh, at whatever range. And you know, now it's not infinite, it actually has a cooldown, but it still actually inhibits people from being able to use uh, different doctrines, for example, Cerberuses. Like, I'm never going to throw a Cerberus fleet on a on a. Uh, you know, defended Keepstar or Forza because they can just choose to scram me down and within that 30 seconds, my fleet is pretty much immobile. Oh, switch Arms anchors. Yeah, you can, sw you can swip at switch anchor, but like well, you are only going to have so many anchors in your fleet. Anchor. That again, sorry? You could not anchor. Oh, yeah. well, okay. yeah. But uh, like, do you... like? This isn't the alliance. I'm not exactly going to trust everybody to to know exactly where to go. Uh, well, would you do that with uh, what's, the test? What's that? Um, here's a um, what's that? Get good? Is that what they say? Is that what the kids say? <laughs> not on this uh, show. They don't. Down. So yeah, the the scrambler and web uh, are definitely still a powerful module, and we'll keep an eye on it. Very well, maybe that they're still too powerful. Um, we wanted to have something that ran again a balance between providing a. Uh, a tool that allows the structure to especially tackle something down long enough for their then defensive fleet to get its own tackle on it, um, but then also was less powerful than what we have right now. Uh, and it's really just all about finding a balance in that case. Uh, and uh, that balance between the defender and the attackers, uh, you're always kind of running the knife's edge between two different interest groups. Uh, so we'll see it, how well we hit it. Um, there's a lot of different options. We could turn the uh, we could change those cooldown timers more uh, or the durations more. We could turn the scrambler into a, a standard point, but it doesn't turn off NWDs. Uh, we could uh, provide all kinds of different uh, tweaks like range, things like that. So there's a lot of balancing options available, but the, the challenge is trying to find that balance between the interests of the defender and the attacker. Yeah, I mean, I'll jump in and... I'd say some of the changes are good. The scram, the scram nerf is pretty good. Um, there's still a lot of issues with tethering. I mean, you're basically you've basically created a system where, like in a Keepstar fight, we could spread out our titans in a huge radius around the Keepstar, um, which would let us, you know, get significant advantages in terms of tracking, um, just basically being able to cover a much wider grid. Um, you know, you're basically creating a situation where people can shoot from inside posh shields and then, like, very quickly get back. And the carrier thing especially, I'm confused about because the, launching the fighters is considered an aggressive action, right? But then you can just abandon them and retether. Is, is that how the system current is going to be working? Yes, you'd be able to abandon them and retether unless, of course, you're scrambled. 
I, I would say um, to Avery's point that um, the ability to retether as easily as it is 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 making is what's making citadels as strong as they are. I mean, the guns on the citadel, the fact that they could do damage and tackle is important, but the tether mechanic and the way it works right now is by far their best force multiplier. Yeah, it's like you have two posses on the same grid, and you, people are just yeah. hugging the shields nonstop. Like they're not even—they're not even hugging the shields. They're literally and, inside the shields. Yeah. Yeah. And like uh, on a large tower, you could fit like maybe twenty-five titans inside before it became really dangerous, and you're risking them all bumping out. Like you can fit—I mean, y'all fit y'all's whole entire super fleet on the keepsar, right? Yeah, easily. Like, I don't know, I don't know if it's fixed, but, you know, for those that are doing pop shots off of, you know, with Tether and whatnot, would increasing the ingression timer uh, help at all? I mean, I don't think it would, but, you know, just spitballing. Well, just the, only, of... the only way you can keep people from retethering is to actually warp ships on top of them within the, you know, tether range of the Keepstar and put a warp scramble or a warp disruptor on them. Or you have to have enough uh, points on them to keep them from warping away to keep them retethering, which is doable but, but then you're uh, going all in under yeah you're going underneath the pds of the keepstar which is yeah. just like yeah. well there is an advantage there if you like let's say you did it with uh you know heavy tanks you know armored battleships um if, if they if you do that and you warp your battleships in then they have the choice of either run the pds or use their fighters and fighter bombers to kill you and if you're within tether range and they'd be pdsing their own fighters and fighter bombers so there, there is some tactical plays you can do there, but it's still, I mean, you, you basically have to suicide an entire battleship fleet just to keep some carriers from retethering, which is very difficult. Yeah, and it but renders like, pictures like pretty irrelevant. You know, yeah. like it doesn't matter if you bubble them, they just are going to retether inside the bubbles. I, I, I would be in favor of some way to block retethering without being in tether range. That would be nice. Um, and the Lakeechus is not necessarily a, a very good. Uh, the only option there. What about some sort of like module where it fires like a beam at the keep star, and if it's on for long enough, it disables tethering? Well, like just like, if, if I could, if I could target paint, if if I could just have like any offensive action block tethering, then I could sit there with like you know a target painter 250 kilometers into it, which opens up all kinds of different griefing tactics. So maybe that's not the best solution either. But there's definitely, it's definitely way too easy to disengage on top of your citadel. Isn't an easy solution one way or another, but yeah, I'm, yeah, definitely, I'm really interested in hearing the ideas you guys have. So Fozzie, like, is this, maybe... is, hold on Flex, is this what it's like working at CCP? You guys uh, go out to dinner afterwards and sit around and discuss EVE mechanics like this? Cause that's, I know you guys are thinking about EVE all the time. Uh, it is pretty often to uh, have discussions about EVE mechanics, like in the bar and stuff like that. So r real talk, how often do you hear the same things that you've already gone over? Um, from the public. fairly often, but that's often a good sign because, uh, if multiple people are coming up with the same idea, that, uh, can be a good sign that at least it's not too crazy. Or there's something there, or it gives you yeah. a hint on. Yep. Yeah. I mean, when you have a game that's as old as Eve, you also get an element of, um, we'll have ideas that come up within the company, uh, and have done so like every three years, this, like somebody comes up with a new plan to remove, um, uh, attributes uh, and uh, change learning and plans and get all simplify that whole system. And the fact that it keeps coming up is a really good sign that uh, we should do it at some point. Uh, so yeah, you definitely see stuff like that. So what are some of the systems that are, in your opinion, that are you can't work on them, but they're not working as well as intended? Oh man, I don't think you have a long enough show. <laughs> Another show for that? 
But, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's there's always tons of things you want to change with a game as big as Eve. This is a absolutely massive game. Um, been running for so long, and so it has the huge advantage of having so many features. That is like that's that's a massive advantage for a game like Eve. But then it also means that there are so many things we'd like to change. You never run out of stuff to do working here, which is uh, both a blessing and a curse. It is crazy. I mean, I've been playing for eleven years now, and there are parts of Eve that I still haven't even tried out. I, I don't think there's any single human being who knows everything about Eve. I do like the inclusion of uh, of, of the hacking and including that uh, that that aspect of it. Um, I, I guess because Citadels in general will be able to be hit 24/7, uh, hacking will be able to be 24/7 as well as opposed to before, where you had to wait for a vulnerability period. The the, the hacking change is is an interesting one for me because with the Citadels being 24. You know, seven and vulnerable. They can also attack you twenty four seven. So, and the hacking has been proposed to be like the hardest hack you can do, especially on keep stars. Like, keep stars how, yes. yeah, nice how are we expected to be able to do this without dying, though? I mean, keep in mind that the structure is only going to shoot at you if it, somebody hops in the pilot seat, and so there very well may not be somebody there. Uh, and you can do this with a pretty cheap ship as well. Um, so, depending on how active, I mean. It, it would be pretty tough to like find a period of time when like one DQ is not not covered by somebody uh, is not being watched by somebody. But for some other structures, uh, it'll be easier to sneak in. Just, I just like bring a hundred people with that. I like this uh, pattern that you're doing now, CCP. I've noticed it that uh, you have included a little bit of gameplay to different sectors. For instance, you you allow the refineries to be put in high sec uh, certain systems, and now uh, or actually in wormhole space, so they can kind of get the feeling of it. They can't get the ore that uh, LOSEC or NELSEC offers, but they can at least have that gameplay that may transition them over to take chances in LOSEC or to take chances in NELSEC. And by bringing the hacking game into Sovereignty, you seem to kind of like give them a chance to play that hacking game. And let's say they actually begin to like it or not mind it, now maybe they do a little more exploring and stuff like that. So it's the integration that you're doing is really interesting. Yeah, it seemed like a good a good opportunity to bring over a bit of that mechanic that is actually one of the most uh, heavily used mechanics in the game. Exploration is is uh, an incredibly popular gameplay style uh, in all areas of space, and uh, get to getting to move that into some other systems is really nice to give give them a chance to try it out. Yeah, I, I think though the uh, again people say like, well, you need to spend a lot more time on NullSec because NullSec's what brings the publicity in. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I mean, all kinds. There's there's people that come in for publicity from a big story about NullSec. There's also people that come in because a friend referred them or come in because of an ad on YouTube or things like that. Um, so I don't know. I'm not the, the marketing expert, so uh, mm-hmm. I don't really know exactly how I'd be able to quantify those in comparison to each other, but uh, we're happy for people to come wherever they come from. I mean... I mean, the NullSec has, NullSec has tended to be kind of one of the big marketing drivers, I would think, because it is it is almost entirely uh, you know, player driven. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the limitations that are in other places until wormholes came in and then wormholes began to be populated. But those still tend to be uh, uh, lower numbers of players, maybe not as many out there that are that are talking the way that NullSec players tend to talk in you know, in various channels. Um, you know, so I, th- I think it ultimately comes down to the big stories about Eve that make news out there are the ones that have a huge player driven element behind them. 
Yes. And that is the case, though, in all areas of space, right? We have big player driven things going on in high sec and in low sec and all second wormholes. Uh, so that's Eve is uh, what, what makes Eve unique is the fact that players can get together and do all these creative things. And that's the case no matter what airspace you live in. Kill it. Yeah, so I just wanted to say I came in because of a YouTube ad and because of the Dominion trailer. And I know that's like not your department, Fozzy, but maybe you know because you're in the office if people are working on. So I always enjoyed like the like the Dominion trailer was probably one of the most badass Eve trailers uh, out there. And like like the latest trailers we got were like more like self-made, cringy kind of thing. And while I I thought they were sort of funny as well, uh, and like I, I appreciate like sort of the self-made aspect. Can we expect some? like proper baller trailers again, like the Dominion one, or is that something that would you just not putting a lot of talking about into? the This Is Eve trailer? Or? No, Burn no, I mean no, This Dominion. Is Eve was pretty good too, but like the like, like the latest thing that we that we got was this video where there was just a bunch of CCP devs like in in front of a green screen or something, and I don't know, like I really oh. enjoyed like the oh. Dominion trailer, for example. Like devs in front of green screens, those uh, those we've always done and we'll always keep doing. Just those are mostly random extra joke stuff um, done by a separate team than the cinematics guys, um, for the most part. Uh, but yeah, uh, doing another another Dominion style trailer. Uh, I mean, like the last one of that style was was the um, uh, the one that we did. We had the one for the uh, Ascension. Uh, release we had the one for citadels the wrecking machine one so we've had a couple of those kind of big heavily produced ones yeah wrecking machine uh, was pretty good i like that one. Um, and i expect we're gonna keep we're gonna keep making those there'll be more i also i agree that i also love the minion tra uh, trailer that was before i started working at ccp but that i was playing at the time and that was that was a really fun trailer. Yeah. And it was actually really fun to realize after i arrived here to work here that uh, that was uh, almost entirely voiced by CCP devs. So all of the different fleet commanders, stuff like that, were all devs at CCP. And so I arrived here and started like meeting people. It's like, oh yeah, I recognize your voice from the Dominion trailer. Well, that was the one where at the they're, they're taking over a station, they're fighting over a station, and there's a lot of back and forth between escalations. Mm -hmm. Reinforcements yep. come in. And then you have the Russian Titans come in and say, burn it all down kind of thing. Trailers like that, uh, they obviously are never match what the actual gameplay is like uh, in a like specific way. But uh, the best ones like Dominion match what the gameplay can feel like, can match what your rose-tinted memory of the gameplay yeah. can be. Uh, and so, yeah, you watch a trailer like that, and I remember fights that weren't actually like that, but that felt like that. Uh, and that's why it resonates so well. I think. Well, they were also made to thrill a crowd that was at FanFest, right? I mean, it seemed to be For a inward. lot of them, yeah. It Some of them were more inward fan fest. Uh, Dominion one would have been. I don't think that was a fan fest one because Dominion was an end of the year patch. Mm. Uh, and that, but uh, yeah, but uh, a lot of those were for fan fest as well. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you, you mentioned uh, the trailers and and how they were made for fan fest, and you know that that can bring up a whole number of things related to player expectations. But one of the things I do want to ask you about here, Fozzy, you know, um, in terms of player expectations. Are you able to comment in any way about how much longer you think we have with the structure rollout? What? Oh, you mean like the full? Until you can basically say that, you know what, um, you, you know, stations are gone, pauses are gone. This is structures now as we know them. It doesn't mean that we won't iterate, the, iterate on them in the future, but we think that we've finalized this conversion over to the new, you know, to the full new system. 
Uh, I mean, full like full conversion that I think is still actually a very very or full full release. Like when you talk about having every a structure that meets everything that um, CCV Terbium talked about in that original FanPath presentation, we're still a ways away from that. We're getting pretty close though to um, station to um, outpost and uh, comparable station replacement. That's going to be later this year. Um, I think we're getting pretty close to parity with star bases. Uh, so that means I really. Uh, we're getting very close to um, being able to start uh, the remaining phase out for them. Uh, but even when we have that, then we would want to still keep moving how, uh, on expanding. How are we going to replicate the Drebuchet mechanic? <laughs> uh, we call that it the tree bucket. Be, uh, right? tree bucket. So we have um, we have once experimented with uh, like a giant finger that flicks. Uh, I know. I, I was talking to Larrikin yeah. about it and saying how that, that might add some flavor to capital battles if you could just like think, energize a dreadnought and then throw it 400 kilometers across the grid. That. Yeah. That yeah, sounds god-awful. Yeah, so. Uh, sorry, let me bring in Avery who's dying to ask a question. Well, I mean, this is just relevant to... We were talking about Drebuchet, which of course is kind of silly, but like there are a lot of gameplay styles that Citadels have kind of killed. Like, you know, one of them that the Imperium used to love is like, you know, the Hell Camp and, you know, trapping someone into a station, waiting for people to drift off the undock. You know, that's pretty much impossible with how big Tether is and how easy it is to push bubbles off. Uh, but the one I wanted to ask about specifically is like, you know, because I used to do a fair bit of this and I think PL is interested in it is like super hunting has become the kind of thing where you basically use blue scouts or wait for someone to be AFK. The idea of like, being able to catch people in transit has just been completely taken away. So is there any, like, does CCP realize that these, like, styles of gameplay are being killed? And is there any thought in, as to how to reintroduce them? So on the general point about styles of gameplay, I'll address that first. Uh, that's always going to happen when you introduce a major change to a mechanic. Um, if you go back to, like, when posses were introduced, they killed styles of gameplay that had developed in 2003, right? So I mean, this kind of stuff is always <laughs> going to keep happening. And people will find new, new, um, uses of uh, new mechanics and come up with new gameplay styles. We're never going to be able to try replicate everything. Uh, trying to do that would just uh, end up tying yourself into knots. Um, with specifically talking about uh, movement for super capital ships, that is something that uh, I would like to see us uh, make changes to in the future. We've talked about ideas internally, again, so no promises, but um, some of the things we've talked about internally would be things like... Um, uh, when you sino in on top of a, uh, a structure, having a bit of a delay before the tether kicks in uh, so that somebody can get tackle on you. Um, again, not saying we're necessarily going to do that, but that's the kind of thing that we're thinking about. And we'd like to make some change in this direction at some point. You wouldn't be open to moving sinos outside of tether range, kind of like you can't sino inside of a boss? I mean, that screws JFs more, more dramatic. Um, I, I'd be cautious about that. Um, I won't rule anything out, though. Yeah, because... Yeah, that, that kind of, like, is a complete change, because even before Citadels, you were able to sign out, uh, like, jump station. freighters and stuff, yeah. like, straight onto a station in dark. Yeah, I mean, I think the the super hunting aspect is something I'll miss. And also, you know, I, I personally enjoy seeing when people fill their, like, XLSMAs full of supers and stuff and let their pots go offline, and, you know, a solo bomber gets all that stuff, so... You know, it'd be kind of cool to see like low power Citadel have less asset safety or drop more stuff in some way. I know you guys are trying to kind of move away from people who go AFK losing losing everything. 
Yeah, there's that concern, and there's just also the general case of all the smart people will just keep all their stuff in NPC stations and avoid the and avoid putting anything valuable in them anyways. Um, like if you even if you go back to um, uh, to conquerable stations, the, the 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 really cautious people, the people that were playing all angles, would keep all their stashes in NPC stations anyways. They wouldn't even put them yeah. into a outpost or a conquerable. I admit that I still do that actually. And it's a psychological barrier I haven't. <laughs> I mean, people in wormholes pretty much just plan on that. I mean, that's that's part of the the danger and the risk, right? I mean, you you deploy yourself and you get to be all set up in your special system and yeah, have crazy engagements, but there's always the risk that you'll lose stuff. And I think we just kind of always assume that. And if you're going to be gone for a long period of time, put your stuff in high sec or just expect that it's going to be gone and rebuild you know eve is a building game you always got to keep rebuilding yeah and that works really really well um it partly works because we never introduced npc stations at all other than Thera in wormhole space so there isn't that to compete with are you guys going to do because you talked about prosperity i just got a quick question for you are you going to create anything equivalent to the sma so i can like repackage my titan guns more easily when <laughs> <laughs> uh to be able to repack your tango more easily maybe uh that's not what we would consider like when we talk about pos parity the remaining big things we're talking about are um uh jump bridges sino jammers sino beacons okay all right remember we're going to go into q a we're going to go into q a right after this show uh on talking in stations discord's open to the public if you want to come in someone had a good question there um are we getting the hack and assault frigate changes on february 13th I don't know if we're ready to announce the date of those yet, so I won't confirm or deny. I, I, I'm not the one in charge of those, so I don't want to okay. step on someone else's toes. Fair enough. Will Tappy start showing up to fights when those come up, Rogoth? <laughs> we, we fight all the time, man. Uh, any more questions uh, for Fozzie? Questions rather than suggestions? We'll get to suggestions. I, I wouldn't mind knowing when we think passes are going to be completely phased out. Oh, I see. If I say, if I give an estimate there, it's going to come back to haunt me in the future. I know it. Um, I would, my hope is that we can reach parity uh, so that with those three functions. So the um, Sino Jammers, Sino Beacons, uh, Jump Bridges, um, maybe towards the end of the year. And then from there, it would just be a case of the slow phase out to give people time to to make their replacements. Um, but we've been do doing that phase out in stages and we'll be continuing to do more phase out of like the moon, the reimbursement for all the moon mining stuff that is going to happen over the next couple of months. Uh, so yeah, um, can't say for sure, but I would hope that we'd be starting to see that, that full phase out happening by like sometime in 2019. Well, this is incredibly relevant for me because of course my corp is POS party. And of course when POS is gone, I'm going to have to migrate everyone over to Fortisar Fiesta. So, you know, <laughs> good. You do your name ready. We're called talking in stations and they wiped out well, anything to do with stations. And, and Fozzie, let me just ask you this, because it is something that gets thrown up out there more often by players who heard it back in 2014. The player built Stargate. Is that an actual thing? I'm not asking you. I'm not asking you what it is, but I'm saying, is it is it an actual thing that is maybe coming at some point down somewhere? Uh, I mean, so a version of it, uh, when I talk about replacing uh, jump bridges, uh, it's very likely that would be a form of player-built Stargate that would replace jump bridges. Um, 
it would not be uh, as big as the one in the trailer. Uh, that would be coming. That would be something special. But the kind of thing from that trailer, that's a like super long-term, more of a vision thing than a, no one had a specific plan of this is how that mechanic would work at that point. It was a inspirational like concept art kind of thing. Thank you. Probably someday. What about faction implants, ET on that? Oh, I mean, like new sets of them. Um, yeah. I'd like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, no soon. pressure. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that it's just really a question of of uh, carving out the time because priorities. You always need to try to uh, figure out where we can fit things. Um, uh, so I, I don't want to make any commitments to that, but they're they're still on the list of things we would like to do. Cool. Thanks. Yeah, we're, shield slaves are the next one. People want to know about those. Yeah, that's what we're, I think. I yeah, think that's what the question was about. Like, the slaves. Talk about stuff. shield slaves. How about that? All right. Well, you can save it for uh, again uh, Q and A right after this show with Fozzie. Uh, Fozzie, last question from me is: What? Um, how happy are you with the state of the game? Right? There's always room for improvement, I suppose, and uh, stuff like that. But like, can you give us like your view from CCP, like where you're at with uh, the way the players are? performing too not just the mechanics but are you liking the whole ecosystem and the uh, extraordinary focus on mining and all that kind of stuff uh so i mean as for like generally what what i think about the state of the game uh as as a designer you're always spending your time focused on the things you want to change uh so tends to be just kind of a list in your mind of a oh, lot this is this isn't great this could be better let's fix this let's change this let's do this and you can never get to all of it so it's it's hard to ever say you're really happy with it, but uh, on the other hand, Eve is Eve is what it's always been, right? It's an amazing game that has no compare anywhere, um, and that continues to be the case and has been the case since 2003 and will be for hopefully very very many years to come. Um, as for like what I think about what players are doing, I mean, whatever players do, because of the fact that Eve is about freedom, uh, that's always something we're happy to see players making those choices uh, and just engaging with the game. Anytime you're doing stuff, uh, we're happy about it. If you're logging in, if you're making a plan and then finding a way to reach your goal, then that's something we're very happy about. All right, let's wrap up the show. Uh, we're a little bit over again. Um, we've posted many times inside of chat. You can join TIS Discord. Uh, we're having a Q&A with Fozzy after that, it's open to the public because we can't possibly ask all the questions and we didn't want to get tied down too much. But I do want to thank all the FCs for showing up today. Uh, we got up to about 800 listeners or viewers, live viewers, and there'll be plenty more listeners of the podcast after that. Uh, a couple thank yous and uh, one announcement from Kaskora. You have? Uh, I am organizing a meetup. So I wanted to give a little plug to that. It's called the, the Eve Retreat. It's taking place in Missouri, so very, very central. Great for anybody in the Midwest who can't make it out to Vegas or Eve Northeast or any of those other events. You can go to everetreat.com to check out all the information on it, but it's going to be a ton of fun. And if we get enough people, we get to rent out the entire venue. So it's going to be awesome. And if you have any questions, feel free to let me know. I'll have a link up here in a bit. And yeah, hope to see you all there. And Fozzie, hope to see some devs there. Just throwing that out there. Oh, I, I would love to go. Um, that'll be something to talk to the community folks about that we might be able to send. Are, are we? Can we plug our Eve meets, Matterall? Yeah, if you have one. Uh, well, we're putting it up on Reddit later. Um, Mardi Gras is in two weeks, and uh, New Orleans in 
there's no Eve related events going on, but we're getting a bunch of Eve players together. If you want to come drink and tailgate with us uh, for the parades, um, yeah, more details, I guess. We already have a big crew. Cool, Dirk. Can you finish wrapping up the show because I'm seem to be crashing. I don't know. How do you want me to wrap out the show? Just, just, just pay, look. If anybody right, here's got, got a shout out for something, an event that they want to uh, that they want to plug, now's the time. If they've got a final comment for CCP Fozzie, otherwise we're going to be wrapping up and going into a uh, after hours sort of Q and A with Fozzie, which will be in the Talking in Stations Discord, which I believe the link has been put out there a couple times. But uh, for any of our guests here, do you have any final words? Yeah, and I gotta give a shout out to uh, Tachi Uchinella. He's a fairly new PL guy, but he's he's running for CSM this year and. I think we're, we're going to support him. Well, we want to say go ahead and give a shout out to anyone supporting us on Patreon and uh, anyone that subscribed during this podcast. I know there were a few that popped up. Thanks for giving us your support. Yeah, so uh, I want to thank uh, Leonarius for his subscription today. Uh, Kesia also just subscribed. I also want to thank the people that have supported the show on Patreon. Uh, thank you very much. Totally appreciate that. Other Hi. than that, Thank you very much to all of our guests that were here today. Uh, thank you to CCP Fozzie for uh, for coming on in this this vortex of things going down with uh, structures and big battles and and all of that. Hopefully, we can uh, continue to keep it interesting for him and the staff at CCP. Uh, but other than that, uh, thank you everybody for listening to Talking to Stations today, and uh, see ya. Thanks for having me. Let it go. Yeah, cheers for having me. Thanks, everyone.